0: to Exodus chapter 7 and verse 17. Uh, No, I'm good. Uh, Don't sit there, whatever you do. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Okay, Exodus 7, verse
0: 17. The first miracle that Moses ever did and this is the Sunday before Passover, and this is when they study this. And so we're right in sync with what they're doing right now. This is what the Lord says. Here is how you will know that I am the Lord. Watch, I am about to strike the water of the Nile with the staff of my hand, and it will turn into blood. Verse 18. The fish of the Nile will die. The river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink water from it. So Moses So the Lord said unto Moses, tell Aaron to take your staff, stretch it over your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers and the canals, and uh, all the water reservoirs, and they'll become blood. There'll be blood throughout the land of Egypt, even the stone containers, right? So this is the first miracle that he did, and it brought death and destruction.
1: Now let's go to John chapter 2 and look at the first miracle that Jesus did. First miracle that Jesus did is totally different. On the third day, verse
0: 1, chapter 2, it was a wedding face, a wedding face. A wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. That's good news. When the wine ran out, and I found the wine never
1: runs out of the church, W-H-I-N-E, unfortunately. (laughs) When the wine ran out, Jesus' mother told
0: him, they don't have any wine. What does that have to do with you and me, woman? Jesus asked. My hour is not yet come. But here's the last recorded words of Mary right here. Do whatever he tells you. That's a good word for all of us today. What do you want me to do now, Lord? Do what I tell you. (laughs) Well, I haven't heard anything. Well, go to my Bible. I'll find you something. (laughs) I'll start with trusting me with all your heart and lean not on your own way of doing things. In all of your ways, acknowledge me, and I will direct your steps. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil, its health to your flesh, its marrow to your bones. And then honor me with your substance, with the first fruits of all of your increase, and your barns will be filled with plenty, and your presses will break out with new wine. That's the will of God. Amen. So do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now there were six stone water jars had been there. For the Jewish purification, each contained 20 or 30 gallons of water. Fill the jars with water, Jesus told them. So they filled them to the brim. Then he said unto them, Now take and draw out to the head waiter. And they did. When the head waiter tasted the water that had become wine, he did not know where it came from. Though the servants who had drawn the water called the groom and said, Everyone has set out the best wine first and after everybody gets intoxicated, we put out the inferior stuff. But you have kept the best wine until now. And this is the first miracle that Jesus did. And he said, I'm going to take so, something so common
1: as water in your life and turn you into the best wine. Like, you're the best wine.
0: And I, read, I looked up somewhere, that you can pay a couple hundred thousand bucks for a bottle of wine. And this was the best wine, saved until the last. Hallelujah. This is the last day, too, so, so it could even have a further implication, right? So again, Moses brought the law and brought death in Egypt. They couldn't drink the water because it turned into blood. Now Jesus turns the water into
1: something precious, something valuable like wine. So when I, was in, uh, when I was in Israel, I had some experiences with sheep. And uh,
0: one that stands out is I was walking along and the, I could hear them coming. Like they were munching everything. It's like, and they're walking along. And one of them walked right up alongside of my leg. And it wasn't until I said something that he took off. Because he, he couldn't tell the difference between me and the shepherd at that moment until until he heard my voice, because I follow the voice of a good shepherd and the voice of a stranger I will not follow. But when I realized that sheep don't see very well and they rely on their hearing, it brought to my remembrance uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. We walk by faith and not by sight. And so I can't depend on my sight. Nor can you. Another thing that I realized is um, David would say, why art thou cast down on my soul? Well, a cast sheep is one that gets so much wool that they flip over and they can't get back up. And they'll, they'll lay there and die if somebody doesn't come and set them up. Right. So, so David, you know, was talking from a firsthand experience about these things too. Then he talked about, you know, he'll lead you beside the still waters. well, you know, a sheep doesn't want to get near water that's active because if they fall in, they're dead. So everything in the Word of God has has a, I guess, a Middle Eastern truth to it. Even when He said He'd lead you to green pastures, when you go up in up in the high country in Israel, there is no green pasture. There's a little patch of green over there, a little patch of green over there, a little patch of green over there. And here's the cool thing: they the path that goes there. The paths that the shepherd used, they're called paths of righteousness. Huh? And so you're dependent on the shepherd, even when it's dry. You follow him, and he's taking you to a place of refreshment. He'll restore your soul. He pours in the oil and the wine. That's to keep the keep the bugs off you and from picking away at your eyes and things like that. Everything that's in there comes from a shepherd's heart. Now, when I was there, it was, the shepherds were a little different because he had a cell phone. But other than that, I could have been back 2,000 years. And then the next thing that I saw, this I'm kind of just kind of rambling here. The next thing that I noticed was I went down to the Sea of Galilee. In some places, they're 85 or 100 feet deep or whatever that is in in meters. And it's, it's a fair-sized lake. But there's nothing built around it. Over in Tiberias there is, but... The rest of the lake is, is, you know, is open. And I thought, well, the government must have passed a law so that, so that people wouldn't go there and, you know, put in a wharf and get a speedboat and water ski up the Sea of Galilee, which they would do. But, but before the government took it over, the Jews would not, did not live on the water then either. You couldn't find a Jewish... If you go to Peter's house, you get got to walk a ways to get away from the water. And I'm thinking, if you went down to Eastern Passage, the boats pull into the wharf and you could, the guy could live right there, you know. But it's not so there because they have a fear of water. They call it, in the Hebrew, it's called chaos. That's No, but that's why they would fish at night near the shallow water. Because if they fished in the daytime in the shallow water, the fish would see the net. But they wouldn't leave The shore, that's why when you get to Luke chapter 5, Jesus says to to Peter, launch out into the deep like it was a scary thing for him. They they totally had a fear of water. And so um, it's got nothing to do with this, but it's just some good information
1: for you. Luke chapter 2 and verse 7. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloth
0: and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there was in the same country shepherds keeping watch of their flocks by night. Well, um, the mangers outside of Bethlehem were really limestone. There's caves all over Israel because, because most of the rock is limestone. But down, in, down next to Bethlehem, is where the Levitical shepherds would birth their sheep. And they had, these, they had these caves all along that were, and again, they were Levitical priests, Le- Levitical shepherds, so they were stamped for purity. So, so if a lamb was going to be born, they would put him in one of these places. And then because lambs are cl- clumsy when they get born, they would wrap them in swaddling cloth. Wrap their legs, because if you know anything about it, it must be without spot, a lamb without spot. So they had to protect this lamb from falling against itself, from bumping its leg against a rock or anything like that. And so they would wrap their legs right up in swaddling cloth, which was gathered from the garments of the high priest. You know, when the the high priest garments wore out, they would cut it up in strips and use it for this very purpose. Why? Because they they wanted to keep this sheep sanctified. So Jesus wasn't born in a little barn. He was born in one of these caves. Why? Because he was the lamb of God that came to take away the sin of the world. So it says, and there were certain shepherds in the same country abiding in the field, keeping watch over the, the, the flock by night. And uh, the angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of God shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said unto them, Don't be afraid. Look, I proclaim unto you good news and great joy for all the people. Today in this city of David of the Savior was born unto you a Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign unto you. You'll find a baby wrapped tightly in swaddling cloth, tightly in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. Same as what they were doing to the temple you no, know, they were at that time of the year they were preparing lambs, you know, for Passover too. So all of this is happening at the same time. Some of these would be a year later, but they, nonetheless they were raising them that way. Suddenly there came a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, "Glory to God in the highest, in heaven and peace on earth to the people." So the Levitical shepherds would watching over these birthing caves keeping them in a state of ritual purity, and Jesus wrapped in swaddling cloth to make sure he had no blemish.
1: Quiet in this Presbyterian church. Hmm. <laughs> Another thing that they would do is interesting is they would um, they would wash them,
0: the newborn ones, they would wash them with salt. You know, I guess a preservative and things like that. But now if you'll read... If you go to Second Chronicles chapter
1: 13, I'll give you 20 minutes to get there.
0: <laughs> it's not one of your favorite texts. No, some of the, the stuff we read in Leviticus and in Chronicles and stuff can be kind of monotonous. Right now, we're in the book of Joshua dividing the land, and that's like, oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> But it's nice to know that it's being read the same way all over, you know. Like, again, I think I said last week, the, the Jews have, have their to- Torah on a spoil, on a spoil, on a scroll, and you turn it each day until you get to the end. They'll get to the end in September, and then they'll start over again. But, so, but right now, all over the world, every Jew is on the same page. And they believe that that keeps unity in the body. So I'm thinking if it keeps unity for them, don't you think it will work for the church? But I have never been able to get a church to do it. It's like trying to herd cats.
1: I got my own ready. I'm going to do my own programming. Well, I know you can.
0: And I know it gets boring once you get to Leviticus. But anyway, are we in Second Chronicles 13, verse 5? Do you know that the Lord God of Israel gave kingship over Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of the salt? Covenant of salt. So when they're being washed down with salt, it's a form, a, a shape, a style of the new covenant. It's like Pastor Arnold Paul and I have been together for 30 years, so we have a covenant of salt. It's, un, it's unbreakable. Now we can go to Leviticus. Yay! <laughs> Chapter two, chapter two and verse 13. I think eventually the book of Leviticus will make sense as we get more understanding of the new Testament. And then you go back and you look at verses like this and say, Oh, this is what it's talking about. If you're just reading through it, it's like, (sighs) but then he says, you are to season each of your grain offerings with salt. You must not omit from your grain offering the salt of the covenant, the salt of the covenant with your God. You're to present salt in each of your offerings. Well, that makes sense now, doesn't it? And uh, okay, so let's move out of that now. Let's go to Luke chapter five, the first time that Peter went fishing with Jesus. I mean, who'd have thought? Though I never knew they were scared of the water. Some of the things that you learn. You know some of the things that you learn when you go to Israel. The first thing that you look at when you go to Israel is there's no trees. If it's not an olive tree, there's not a tree. So how could Jesus possibly be a carpenter? Then you start looking in the translations and find out he was a stonemason and an architect. Then all of those stone references in the Bible begin to make sense.
1: Say so, yeah, no, but you know you are all living stones, built into the temple of God.
0: It's kind of like, you know, he's rebuilding the temple. In in Haggai 2 and verse 9, he says, the glory of this latter house will be greater than the former house. And we know it's talking about us, but it's talking about him and us being built in us. Any man be in Christ. Come on, a new creation. You're living stones built into the temple of God. So he's rebuilding. The Jews plan on rebuilding the other temple, but Jesus is building his temple right now. Even when he said the, the temple veil was rent, he was talking about his flesh letting you in. Anybody, anybody, he said, I knocked at the door. He said, If you'll invite me in and get an invited in in Revelation chapter 2, when he invites you in, he's saying, I'll pay for everything. Just let me in. I'll take care of everything. I'll give you Ephesians 1 3. You'll be blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. Just invite me in. Stop struggling, trying to make it happen on your own. Amen to
1: that. Okay.
0: Luke 5, 4. Now, when he had left off speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draft. And Okay, so the first thing we know about this now is Simon doesn't like going out into deep water. Simon Peter said unto him master I have toiled all night and caught nothing nevertheless at your word I will let down the net and when they had done this they increased they enclosed a great multitude of fish until their net broke and they beckoned unto the partners which were in the other ship that would come and help them and they came and filled both ships so that they began to sink Simon Peter saw it and fell down to his knees and said depart from me I'm a sinful man. It, it exposed, it's kind of like when you read Isaiah chapter 6. And Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. And he was, I, I knew about him before, but now I've seen him. I've seen him and he's high and lifted up in his train, fills the temple. And then all of a sudden I saw myself. He said, woe is me because I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. Shon hurrah, I'm a man of unclean lips and I'm living amongst a bunch of people with unclean lips. And then he took the fire of the Holy Ghost and touched his tongue. The next thing he said was, here am I, send me. It wasn't something he could do by himself. So Simon Peter saw himself as a sinner until we get to John chapter 21, the next time
1: that he's gone on a fishing trip. I know some of this stuff is repetitive, but we learn through repetition,
0: Right. Repetition is the motor of learning, someone said. John 21, 6, and he came and said unto them, this is Jesus, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you'll find. That's another thing that you'll notice when you go over there is the Sea of Galilee is one place, and I'm sure there's a spiritual significance to it, but has got seven underground streams coming into the same location. I want to search that out because that's
1: where the fish were. Now they were not able to draw the multitude for the multitude of fishes. Hallelujah. Just jumped way too far ahead. Jesus said unto them, well, verse seven says, therefore that
0: the disciple that Jesus loved said unto Peter, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard this, it was the Lord he grew his fisher's coat, for he was naked, and cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from the land, 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to the land, they saw the fire and the coals there. And I think it's so neat because, because Peter sees Jesus in a different light now. He sees himself in forgiveness. Jesus said unto him, bring on the fish that you caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net full of great fish, 153, there were so many, and yet the net was not broken. Caught so many fish and couldn't break the net. It says 153. I've been been looking at that for years. The closest anybody came to satisfying it was Flavius Josephus said that there was 153 different kinds of fish in the Sea of Galilee at that time. So, So that would mean that you're going to get people born again from all nations. But I know that there's more than that because... Anyway, we'll, let the, we'll leave it alone for now. Let's go to Mark chapter five. We're going to close over Mark chapter five. We're going to see Calvary in Mark chapter five. We're going to see Good Friday. Well, they call it Good Friday, but it was Thursday, and it was the you can't be in the, in the grave three days and three nights and be crucified on Friday and raise up Sunday morning. I don't know who why people can't see that. It's so so, so obvious. Three days and three nights, like Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Well, you can't start on Friday and get three. And they could call it Good Friday, but I'd rather call Resurrection Sunday the best day myself. The devil might call it Good Friday, but it backfired on him. <laughs> okay, in Mark chapter 5, verse 1, it says, They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadaleen, Gad- Gadarenes. And I'm sure that when Jesus said to them, we're going to cross the lake now and go over to the land of Gadara, that they were not excited about that either, knowing how they felt about the water. They came over to the other side to see to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him from the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains because he had been bound often with fetters and chains, the chains were plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, and they could not tame this man. And always, night and day,
1: he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus, but when he saw Jesus, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him.
0: This will bring you victory every time in your life. Every time you begin to worship God, and everything will turn around for you. Yeah. He cried with a loud voice, What I what have I to do with you, Jesus, thou son of the most high? I adjure you by God that you torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of that man, you unclean spirit. He asked him, What is your name? And he said unto me, unto him, My name is Legion, for we are many. He besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. Now there were near to the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. Well, what's what's a herd of pigs, two thousand pigs, doing across the border from Israel? Unless it's contraband, unless they're smuggling pork into the into the Jewish communities by night. I smell bacon. <laughs> <laughs> they were cheating on the law, I'll tell you that right now. Yep. Now the word so a great herd of swine feeding, and all of the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out, and he entered. they entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea. There was about 2,000 that were choked in the sea. I like to think about this, too, 2,000 years after Jesus was here, the devil's herd's going to get wiped out. Can we look at it like that? You better look at it like that. It's the truth. Yeah. But now here's the thing that I got out of this that I
1: hadn't seen before. The madman of Gadara was going to exchange places with Jesus.
0: And I often wondered where he got the clothing. They said they found him clothed and in his right mind. And I, I'm i not sure about that yet, but, but I think that it relates to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 53. This is when they're getting ready to crucify Jesus. And he said, think that I cannot pray now to the Father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legion of angels but that the scriptures must be fulfilled this must be so this man
1: ran out of the tombs and Jesus is running into the tomb and it's such a type of i don't know how much you were possessed with other things
0: but he made a perfect exchange He went to the tomb so that you could go to the throne. He went to the tomb so you could go to the throne. Praise the Lord. Well, I'm done. I hope you got something out of this. I did. Hallelujah. When the law was given, 3,000 people died. When when the Holy Spirit was poured out, 3,000 people got born again. There's such a truth in that. He said, I didn't come to appoint you under wrath. I didn't come to, I'm not, he said, I came to judge you and I put it on Jesus.
1: I found him guilty, that so I could find you innocent. He got him made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin,
0: that you'd be made the righteousness of God in him. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord.